Hi, what's up? Welcome to Canal and Bell. Dana Canal, Raja Bell, hanging on a Thursday, the Bro, Open did, Championship. Did you just what, see what, that? What? Oh. He got up against the face of one of those pot bunkers. Yep. He couldn't get it out, and he took a dump himself into the sand. He fell back into the sand <laughs> after he tried to hit it. All right, it's so if anybody is watching or listening and has no idea what you're talking about, Raja and I are both, we have the Open Championship on in our room right Oop. here. Ooh, he did take a <laughs> spill. Do we know who that was? Arting. Uh Falling Arting. right down on his backside after trying to make some kind of miraculous shot out of the bunker. But we're going to get to some Open uh, Championship. We'll get you all those scores. We'll get you updated. Tiger tees off in about 10 minutes, so we'll kind of be following through his round, give you updates as that goes along uh we also have a monster show chris paul uh trade talks breaking down with any other teams might be stuck with okc so we'll talk about that what does that mean i think college football is in trouble so we're going to dive into possible solutions on that later but first we have to go out to our guy pete prisco in one of the most beautiful oh. cities in the country did you know they have over 300 days of sun in denver colorado that, but I, I don't doubt that. But saying it's more sunny than San Diego or or Miami Beach, Florida is look inaccurate. it up. That's Google it. I'm telling inaccurate. you, it is. So we can go right to the source because Pete is out in Inglewood, Colorado, the site of the Denver Broncos training camp, where they report today. You're looking good, man. You must have been putting in some extra training sessions and you know working on a diet, man. You're looking felt. You know what it is? It's football's back, Danny. Come on, you know that. You know how football brings the energy. I got energy now. Football's back. I love it. Well, you're looking good, man. So uh, the Denver Broncos made a move this season for Joe Flacco. Uh, Flacco's 34. He hasn't looked great in the last few seasons. He really hasn't looked great since he won the Super Bowl uh, with the Ravens and after he got that massive payday. Uh, John Elway says, I still believe in Joe Flacco. I think he has to say that, but obviously he does making this move for him. Um, I, are you a believer as much as Elway is that they can win with Joe Flacco? Well, it depends on which Joe Flacco you're getting. Are you getting the Joe Flacco who had success early in Baltimore and was one of the best postseason quarterbacks we've ever seen? I mean, that run to the Super Bowl, he had 11 touchdown passes and no picks. If you're getting anything close to that, then I agree with John Elway. Now, if you're getting, you know, Joe Flacco who has been around the Ravens the last couple of years, then probably not. But, uh, something in between and this team will be better. Look. The quarterback position has been an issue here for a long time, as you know, uh, and Joe Flacco is an upgrade from what they've had the last couple of years. Hey, Pete, let me ask you, like, maybe you can answer it, maybe you can't, but, you know, John Elway's certainly struggled picking, like, young quarterbacks as of late. What's his relationship to those quarterbacks once they get there? Is he sitting up in his office kind of having no relationship with them, or is he there as a... You know, as kind of a, a guide for them? Is he a resource for them uh, in terms of learning the position, or is he just sitting up there uh, behind the glass? You know, it's one of the great mysteries surrounding this team is why John Elway has not had success with the quarterback position because he is so involved. And, and you know what? People think he just shows up. No, that's not true. John Elway's first one in, last one out. He is a, a, a real grinder when it comes to watching the tape, but he spends a lot of time around the team. And he is a sounding board for those guys. So it is a mystery. Hey, look, sometimes... You just missed on evaluations. They missed on Paxton Lynch. That was a bad uh, draft pick and a bad evaluation. The other guys were stopgaps. They were never going to be the long-term answers. They might have a long-term answer on their roster right now in Drew Locke, a guy I really like coming out of Missouri. Uh, but for now, it's Joe Flacco, and we'll see how it goes this year. I agree with you on most – like, I agree with you that some of those quarterbacks, none of them really were the future of the franchise. They were kind of just biding time. Maybe they didn't like people that were available in the draft, so they didn't want to waste a first-round pick on somebody. Um, but Elway does take a lot of heat. In Denver, is there 
I mean, he has the Super Bowl, which he won with Peyton Manning and that defense. But is there a sense around Denver that, hey, if they don't win, maybe they make a change with the front office and being in John Elway? Well, I don't know because you have a first-year coach. So sometimes you get a pass in that situation. But, again, um, look, this team has lost double-digit games the last two seasons that hasn't happened in a long long time around here so naturally there's going to be heat on him but he is a favorite son around here let's face it I mean John Elway is the Denver Broncos and it's going to be awful hard uh, to make a change and get rid of him unless this thing goes totally bad now if they won four games three games and I think maybe something like that could happen but if they're eight and eight uh, you know nine and seven and miss out on the playoffs then I th- don't think he goes but there's certainly a lot of heat on John Elway with the quarterback position, I know you mentioned Drew Locke, who slipped to the second round. They got their guy. I mean, they really played it well because, you know, it was kind of the opposite of the way the Giants did when they made a stretch for Daniel Jones. The Broncos kept trading back, and they ended up getting the quarterback that everybody thought they were going to take in the first round. They got him in the second, so they obviously liked Drew Locke. Is the expectation that he gets to sit? Do you think he'll push Joe Flacco? Is it an open competition? What is Drew Locke's status now that he's got that rookie deal finally uh, signed, sealed, and delivered? No, I think this is uh, Joe Flacco's team, at least until they fall out of playoff contention. Then they might decide to go in another direction. But uh, I think for this season, the idea is that Joe Flacco is the starting quarterback and Drew Locke can spend the year uh, learning from him and learning about the NFL game and learning the speed of the game. As you know, Danny, that's the biggest adjustment for these young quarterbacks is uh, getting uh, an idea of how fast the game is played and how small the windows are compared to the college game. So I think he learns and, and spends the time on the sideline this season unless things go uh, drastically horrible and then I think you might go to the young quarterback and get on with it. Pete, what are your expectations for first-year head coach Vic Fangio out there? You know, look, he's a – I mean, this guy knows how to build defenses. And and I think when you look at this defense, there's a lot of talent there. I mean, pass rushers are what he excels at. He has – you know, Von Miller, arguably the best pass rusher in the league, and I think he is on one side. And he's got Bradley Chubb, a coming star on the other side, to build their defense around. So I think it's a good start for him. We'll have to get an idea what the offense is going to be like. I think one of the best additions this team has had this offseason is Mike Munchak, now the offensive line coach. They've had offensive line woes, and Mike Munchak is one of the best, if not the best, offensive line coach in the league. The reason he's here is because he has family in Denver and wanted to get closer to them so they had an opportunity to get him, and that's a great addition for that team. So, Pete, when we were at the Super Bowl uh, this past year, I got to meet Philip Lindsay. He was one of the best stories of the NFL last year as an undrafted free agent. Rookie comes in, you know, has an impressive year as a running back with that offense. But one of the things about him that was really unique is he played at CU. He's right down the road. So we actually lived in his parents' basement. Do you know, is he still living in his parents' basement, or has he finally branched out and got his own place? I don't know that, but I will find that out. And and I would imagine he's still there because remember the reason for being there was he was concerned about the NFL being having a lockout again. And and one of the things when you're not making a lot of money is you you got to save as much as you can. So I imagine he's still there. I love it. I think he will be too. Uh, real quick, I wanted to finish off with this: the NFL and the Players Association are holding these CBA discussions. Do you think this will be resolved? without much dissension or do you think this could drag out where it becomes a little bit more stressful for both sides no you keep hearing too much optimism coming out of these meetings and and usually that's not the case so i think smarter heads are going to prevail here and let's face it the owners are making money 
The players are making money. Uh, the fans love it. They can't get enough of it. They have an insatiable appetite for it. The networks love it. It, it you know, fuels every one of their shows. And so, you know, be smart. Don't be dumb. Uh, do they want to go to 18 games? Probably. Will that happen? I think it can, but you're going to have to give and take a bunch. Why not go to 18 games? Uh, sit guys for two games if they're complaining about it. If they don't want to complain about it, then play them 18 games. Give them an extra couple bye weeks. Uh, expand the rosters by 10 to 12 players. Pay those guys. Don't pay them the, uh, you know, the, the practice squad wage. Pay them and everybody's happy. Give them more time off. Uh, in the off season, everybody's making money, uh, so I think that they're going to be smart here, and this thing will get done. Awesome, good stuff. Enjoy Denver, enjoy practice, and don't spend too much time at the dispensaries. All right, you got it. <laughs> Take care. <laughs> all, right. all right, good stuff. And Pete Prisco, who is at uh, the Denver Broncos training camp, I'm not as much of a believer in Joe Flacco. I think you could see Drew Locke before long. I think he, I think you know. Speaking of stop gaps, which John Elway has, you know, we were talking about that with Trevor Simeon. You missed on Paxton Lynch. Uh, you know, the list of guys that goes on Case Keenum. I think Joe Flacco is just another stopgap. Like at some point, you've got to have a plan for the future. And I just, I don't, I think it could be Drew Locke. I don't think it's Flacco for even two or three years. I think he's, he's kind of all in this year. If it hits, it works. If not, you kind of move on and it's another stopgap. That could be the case. I, I do think though that they see him as a viable option, at least for uh, a window of time until Drew Locke's ready. It's stopgap ish, but. You're rolling the dice that he's still got something left in the tank. And then if he doesn't, he becomes a stopgap. But I, I think that they hope that he they could ride him out for a few more years. So the last thing I asked Pete was about the negotiations that are taking place between the Players Association and the NFL itself. Um, they met uh, Wednesday in Chicago to discuss this new CBA, which expires uh, in uh, 2020 after the 2020 season. Uh, they both want to get it done. I agree with that with Pete because I think they are, it is good. The NFL is healthy sure. and it, it seems like it was a decade ago, but it was only last year with the kneeling controversy and the ratings were down and everybody was all kind of on the NFL saying maybe they're in trouble. Last year goes off without a hitch. It like has a great season. You've got this crop of rookie quarterbacks who really yep. excelled. Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, the list goes on and on. Brady and Breeze, these guys are still playing well in their forties. So I do agree that they want to get something done. I saw a statistic yesterday, though, and I wish the players would really take a strong stance for this. So Major League Baseball, they get a 52% cut. Mm -hmm. They get more than, than the, the owners. owners do as far as the revenue sharing set up. The NBA gets 50%, right. which I think is fair. And I could, well, hey, you know, we do all the work, but you guys put up the money, 50-50 right. split. The NFL is at 47 or 48, kind of depending on what the various situations are. But sure. that, if it's only, let's say it's 48, which sounds better, it's still 2% less. And if anybody's listening, they're like, well, it's only 2%. 2% of billions and billions of dollars of money. could be an extra, uh, the number I saw, um, you know, if you get these extra two games was an extra two and a half billion dollars. Yeah. So that's one point, one and a quarter billion dollars that you could divvy up among the players. There's 1600 players. And it, it gives everybody, yes, Aaron Rodgers, Brady, the quarterbacks are going to get paid a lot, but I saw the veteran minimum guys could go from like 600 a year up to a million a year. Yeah. Which is a big difference. Like Brady, the, the superstars don't necessarily need it. Of course, they would get a lot of it, but the guys like I was, who was sure. a minimum guy, you can close to double your salary. Yeah. That would be monumental for the league. It would be, it would give you more, um, financial stability and all these things. I, I think they should go to, I think they should do what the NBA has done. 
Here's a solution for the NFL. You give them 18 games. Mm-hmm. You sign up for it. You say, we want 50% revenue split. We'll give you two. That's all we, we just want 50. We'll go, we'll give you extra games. Right. We'll give you two extra games. And then you know what you do? You do the NBA deal and you say load management. You know, you, you have your stars sit when you want to sit them. Right. You sit guys when you want to. I do agree that you would have to expand the roster somewhat and you keep that as part of the leverage and say, hey, if we're going to go to 18 games, give us some more players. But that's what I would do is sign up for the deal and then as players decide how you want to manage that yourselves. Don't give in to some requirement, mandatory sitting out or whatever the NFL would want to propose. Say, we'll handle it on our own. Yeah, there are are a few things that I think – you know, that they need to focus on if you're the NFL Players Association going into a CBA. Unfortunately, when you hear like all of these cliches come out about, uh, a, sco- a source described the sit down between the NFL and FLPA as productive, um, there, there were other type of, uh, um, where's the language in it? I don't know, but these were all glowing yeah, terms. Optimistic. Right. That doesn't lead me to believe. You know, when, when, when someone is unhappy with what's happening, they're going to come out of these meetings and start posturing, like Michelle Roberts and the NBA PA did. Like, listen, don't get this twisted. We're, we're going, we'll go to war if we have to. Like, they're, they're, they're threats that are made so the other side understands you either get this done or we're going to the mattresses. Doesn't sound like this is going to happen, but the things that I think that they should be willing to go over the, to the mattresses to some degree for the revenue sharing, yep. right? Uh, get your money, make sure that that's an equitable thing. I wouldn't really beef over the games either. If you could, strategically figure out, you know, how you don't have to play all 18 and you right. sit people. Uh, I'm fine with that. Um Here's the thing, don't even bring it up. Just yeah. we'll figure it out. No, you, you <laughs> go you go there are three uh, three agendas that I'd be tr- trying to to drive home, right? At stripping some of the power from Roger Goodell to make these these decisions just judge, you know, jury and executioner. That that has to be taken care of, right? Like we we have to do something about that. And then the third one, um, I, I forgot. Guaranteed contracts? No, because I don't think that's ever going to happen. I don't think NFL. so either. I, I don't and think it's you're not... ever going to be. Oh, the, the last thing would be, to your point, you want to have an, a healthy league. And it can't just be the haves and have-nots. Like, you have to fight for the middle class, right? And that's what the NBA's objective was the last time we went around the block. was like, we have to figure out structurally uh, with these contracts and with the revenue sharing how we can get the middle class healthy enough in the in the NBA. So you don't just have, you know, guys making, you know, Russell Westbrook and, and James Harden money and then your minimum guys. Like, right. we need mid-level exceptions. We need stuff like that. And then the last one would be that franchise tag. Yeah. Give that franchise, franchise tag, tag has to, you have to figure something out with that. Because it's hijacking guys like Ezekiel yeah. Elliott will be up for it down the road. Melvin Gordon, we saw Aaron Donald held out. It's just... Even if it's you don't, you can't double down on it. Right. Like, there's got to be some kind of change to the franchise rule. Agreed on that. Uh, we just mentioned the Open Championship to start the show. Tiger has teed off. Uh, but let's take a look at the leaderboard as these guys are out there. Shane Lowry uh, is in the clubhouse, shot a first round 67. So he's four under. Alex Norgan at three, uh, Noren at three under. Sergio Garcia at three under. And mm. Webb Simpson. Dylan Fratelli, who just won his first event, was a pretty cool story about him. Tiger's in the fescue. Yeah, but he's uh, he's he's strong enough to get out of there. He did it iron off the tee. That's the thing that's surprising to me is that he was in the fescue with an iron off the tee box. But hey, he's in better shape than Rory McIlroy, who, who had the uh, awful first hole, had to take a quadruple bogey after uh, hitting it out of bounds on the first shot of that one. So we're gonna keep you updated on the Open Championship throughout the round as we finish out the show. All right, welcome back to Canel and Bell. The Open Championship is on right now. Tiger's on his first hole, uh, hit his. Driving iron, an iron off the tee into the rough, hits his next shot. You noticed this. I did. I thought he was up in front of the green. Yep. But these greens are filthy because he was up in front of the green and then it rolled all the way back into a, like a 
It's not even a greenside bunker. It's like a fairway. Roll back like, like 30 yards. Pottish. Yes. Pottish bunker. He goes in the pot bunker. You and I were noticing as he was walking in the bunker. It looked like it did not look athletic. <laughs> right? Maybe he's worried about his Ginger, back. yeah. But he did hit a pretty good bunker shot. He? He's got about 10, 12 feet for par we'll take the on his first hole. So we'll keep you updated on him. When he's, we, we kind of ended the show yesterday talking a little bit about Tiger. Yep. I, I don't love the mentality, the mindset going in because he's talking. We hear Brooks Kepka intimidation factor. Hey, all these guys are scared of him. And he's like, screw you guys. I'm better than you. Whatever. What are yeah. you going to do about it? Tigers comes in. He's like, my game's not where I need it to be. I took some time off. I'm not liking the way I shape my shots. I don't have a good vibe about him. I'm starting to wrap my mind around the, the, what, what is going to be Tiger going forward. And I can still pull for him and cheer for him. I just can't have my expectation level where it, where it used to be. It's taking too much out of him. Like the, the chase for this, he seems to be as a dad naturally. And I applaud it stretched a little thin. Like he priority priorities aren't just golf anymore. Um, it's hard to be grinding and doing something at that, at your, you know, the very best of the world type of level when you've got that going on. And you would have never in a million years heard him make comments like that. Even if he wasn't great, that would have never been something that he admitted to anyone. I think he's just a different person now. You know what else we never would have seen is him take two weeks off in the middle of the golf season, right in the thick of things, to go to Thailand and not bring his clubs. Like Unacceptable. That was, he goes with his family, doesn't pick up a club for two weeks in the middle of the golf season. That's unheard of. I know. But I think it does speak volumes to what, you know, he, he was enjoying it. Right. It was an epic comeback. It probably did take a lot of him emotionally and physically to get to that point. Yeah. So he's like, hey, I got here. But I don't, there's not that, killer mindset that you saw before the question i think that people ask is do you think he'll get jack at 18 i still think he can what's he at he's at 15 so he needs three more majors to tie him four to pass him i think he can what if he just gears up for augusta every year because or the first one of the year you know and he's got like, all in on that one i think if, he's got a chance if that took that much out of him <laughs> well the partying <laughs> after is no, but i'm saying like, like if you were going to celebrate every major win with that type of partying <laughs> right I don't know that you make it. I'm still pulling for him. Like well, I'm the biggest Tiger fan one. out there. Don't, don't, listen, in terms of Tiger fan stratosphere, sure, you don't get a bigger Tiger fan than me. I just I love him. Too. I love him too. But maybe, maybe this off season he has some self reflection. Maybe he's got that first one, so he's back, and now he can kind of regroup. Yeah, and say, and then maybe take a month off, but then go back to the grind and say, all right. I need to pace myself because he even talked about he's still figuring out his schedule right, of right. how to schedule events. He'll pace them out, and hopefully he doesn't take a two-week layoff to Thailand oh, right in the pipe. middle of the season. Well, feet. Our Kyle knocks this down. Get in the hole. Our oh, it's in the hole. One. Okay, our number one for Tiger. Uh, so our buddy uh, Kyle Porter right here at CBS Sports HQ put out a photo of, of Tiger Woods, and it looks painful. Like Tiger's like cringing, and Grimace. Kyle Porter is quote is <laughs> me watching Rory today uh, because of Rory's start that's out there. But Tiger also uh, looking a little good. But now he looks great after a par on the first hole, and uh, Rory McIlroy continues oh. to hack it around fescue and everywhere else as he's out on the course. You know what? Right now. This, I know we're off topic here, <laughs> yeah. but. It's really hard to play at home. Oh yeah. It's a hard thing to do. You know, he's in Northern Ireland, right? Like he's in Northern Ireland. Yep. Yeah. Um, and you know, we talk about teams and guys signing in like, you know, let's say like Los Angeles for guys like Kawhi Leonard and, and, and Paul George. And that's just going to go off without a hitch. Man, home is tough. It's tough to play at home, yep. let alone like live at home and play in that city and be a member. I mean, so those are things that. People it's have a unique, to navigate. It's a, it's a unique pressure. Yeah. It's a unique environment. You know, when we were at, uh, was it Augusta this year? Went to the gym, uh, early in the morning, saw Roy McElroy in the gym. I was like, man, it is, I think it was Saturday morning before the match. I'm like, he's in here working yeah. out. I was pretty impressed by that. 
Because he probably didn't have anybody nothing to hang pulling, out with. Nothing yeah. pulling on him, if right? You're, if you're at home, yeah. you got buddies you keep probably catching up with the night before. They're yeah. out. You're worried about getting their tickets to them. And, I, yeah, you have people to do that. But it's just one more added stress, a list of many that you have to deal with. Think about when your family would come and stay with you and visit, oh, like when you'd be on the road, such right? A headache. No, I was a napper. Like it messed with a nap schedule. There were a lot of things, a lot of <laughs> dynamics in play that, that didn't. You know, I always loved to see my family. My dad's in the Yeah, but I was going to say, we got to give I a shout out to your dad. I love to, day I always love to see them, right? And, and, and I love to have them apart but there are distractions that pop up with that because people need you know to do things and get you off your normal schedule if that's your daily and it's pulling on you all season it, it would be really really hard to be focused uh, 100% on that on on what you had to do it absolutely would uh chris paul is in the news because adrian wojnarowski reported yesterday the oklahoma city uh thunder have had discussions to move chris paul that's kind of what everybody expected yeah. hey does he go to the heat some other teams were mentioned in there but it sounds like now all those discussions are being tabled and it might be Chris Paul on the Thunder when the season starts. No one's got any money to, to, to take that contract on at this point. And all of the guys, like I think it was 40% of the league, uh, uh, are under contracts that can't be traded because, you know, of the shuffling pieces. So, you know, at the deadline around December 15th, when those contracts are able to be moved, there may be a new market for Chris Paul. You can reassess the situation. I, I've always maintained that I don't think he winds up playing the season out with Oklahoma City, but he'll be there for a while. And I am starting to kind of wrap my mind around this now that he may actually have to play out the entire season and go into next year's free agency looking for a new home. Um, it's not the worst thing in the world for Oklahoma City. They still have a competitive roster. When you have, you have Steven Adams, Dennis Schroeder, Terrence Ferguson, Danilo uh, Gallinari, Nerlens Noel, Patrick Peterson. Uh, th- those are names where you could go out there and if you're Chris Paul, you're not going to win a championship, but you're not going to be on a doormat team that's 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 vying for the number one pick in the draft, right? You still get to play some com- competitive basketball. Um, you you get to reassume the role that you naturally like the most, which is you know that alpha, alpha older brother. Let me tell you how this needs yeah. to be done. So like that's good. And if you're Oklahoma City, you don't have any pieces that Chris Paul is is um is, is stunting right there are no players there that you would want to assume his role and having him there would stunt their growth so in the short term until you get a piece like that chris paul's fine in the space you know that you've created there for him ultimately though chris paul doesn't want to be in oklahoma city he wants to try to win championships and i think they'll facilitate that there's just no you know there's no one that can can make that happen for them right i now. think it's gonna be really interesting to see how this plays out because he's 34 years old he has one of the worst contracts in the nba yeah. as far as what you're going to owe him it's a monstrous deal does he get that one more chance to make a run with a team you know, I I know he's not the most well liked guy around the league, but you never see a guy just kind of out like put out to pasture. Yeah, and he, like you wonder if that's how it's going to end. For not Chris not Paul. with not with uh look for for let's say Chris Paul wasn't his he wasn't his like top three point guard in the league self last year. Now some of that was fit with with James Harden what they were asking him to do offensively, and some of it is just father time, right? It's starting to happen, but he was still really productive, especially when James Harden wasn't on the floor. He was twenty one and and twelve. Like you talk about. Like when when you when you per per forty eight them, do you know what I mean? Like yep. those are still good NBA numbers. There's something there, um, but he can't be your breadwinner at this point. He's got to be a complimentary piece, and that salary isn't complimentary money uh, type of salary. Do you know what I mean? So there's yep. a unique situation for him. Whether they can find it or not, I don't know. So the NBA is set up to have a thrilling season this year because of all the movement that's taking place. Yeah. We've had all kind of superstars move around. The shuffling, the super teams are broken up. There's no real, you know, three-headed monster yeah. like we've seen in years past. Uh, and the Boston Celtics are going to have a new look because they no longer have Kyrie Irving as their focal point. I haven't signed Kemba Walker. 
Uh, what did you do? Did you expect that maybe nobody would wear Kyrie's number? No, I didn't either. Like, I'm not surprised. What has Kyrie this. done in Boston? I, I, nothing. Uh, but Inez Cantor goes out there and gets his number 11. And he had a great quote because he said, it was my old jersey number, by the way, number 11. And I want to be the reason no one else will. And he had to say it. He said, yeah. I had to say it because yeah. there was the Nike commercial, uh, with, uh, Kyrie Irving. Mm-hmm. And it was actually a really good commercial. And he was talking, he was playing pickup hoops with his dad at the garden. Sure. He talks about the influence his dad had. He said, Hey, I wore the number because my dad wore it. And then the last line is, I want to be the reason that no one else will. Obviously, why Cantor dropped that little nugget in the end, kind of a little jab. Ennis Cantor is phenomenal. Um, I want to say, was his dad's number 11 retired? I played at Boston University after his dad played at Boston University. Yeah. I don't know if it was retired or not. I had to wear 13, um, at BU. So that's just funny, but Ennis is, Ennis for good and bad, right? Like you got whole countries that want to kill you. Yes. But his his Ennis doesn't stop. He's a funny dude. I had him as a rook. Um, I didn't think Kyrie had done anything in Boston to warrant someone. No. If anything, I they like they've been burning jerseys. Like they're begging somebody else to wear it. That's not Kyrie. Correct. Correct. I always say Cantor's first name wrong. Like the uh, the pronunciation. Yeah. I say Ennis, and it's Ennis. And I always mess it up. I always have the the um. What do you call it? The inflection or whatever the inf- like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You put- I do it wrong every single time. Well, I don't know why, but I'm I, I think that's. Right. I, I think it's okay with like Ennis is a is not tripping off of that. He is a really good dude. Uh, misunderstood at times because you know he's not afraid to open his mouth. But when I tell you he's a good dude, I've had a lot of conversations with him about his family, some of that stuff that takes place yeah. in Turkey, some of the pressures. Like he's a really good guy. Um, that stuff he's going through with the that'll develop some character. Yeah, in a hurry. some real life stuff. Yeah, absolutely. The question, the question for me uh, about the Celtics, like and Ennis, you know, obviously stole the the press conference yesterday. But it's you know Kemba, and whether or not you know bringing in a player Kyrie ish. Um, works with what you've got there in Boston and the style that you that you ultimately want to play, which was what you did two years ago, you know, when you got to the Eastern Conference Finals. And does the style of a Kemba Walker or a Kyrie conflict with what you what you ultimately want to do? And that 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 remains to be seen. Like we, by all accounts, Kemba is is um you know less of a Personality, I guess, is the best way to put it than Kyrie. You know, he's a little bit more easygoing, probably not not as much stuff going on. See, I think he's off the court, but he is ball dominant, right? You know, but I've said this a bunch throughout. I think he's one of the most underrated players in the league, but he's also one of the most unknown. Like he, because he played in Charlotte, it wasn't a great market. Sure, like we know so much about the the personalities of Russell. Look at those numbers, right? The numbers are insane. Yeah, he's been incredible. That's but like we don't, I don't, and maybe you know more than I do, but I don't know. Like, is he a diva? Is he a great teammate? Is he a hard worker? Just because you don't know that much about him. Like, because, you know, all these guys we've talked about, Russell Westbrook, Chris Paul, uh, Kawhi Leonard, like guys that have been the focal point and they've been under the scrutiny of the media, you kind of get to know their personalities. I know nothing about what well, Kemba Walker's going to be in Boston. In today's NBA, if he were a, a, a diva type of dude, you'd know. Right. Because of social media and he'd, you know, he'd be two million followers posting something everywhere he goes every day. It's not his style. Like he's a behind the scenes grinder type of worker, which fits. Yeah. In Boston. The question is, does stylistically like his, his game fit? And, that remains to be seen. The, the, what comes first, the chicken or the egg in, in Charlotte? Like, does he have to have the ball in his hands all the time and shoot it all the time because they don't have anybody else who can do it? Yep. Or does nobody else get to do it because Kemba's doing it all the time, right? And that, that'll that play itself out in Boston next year. We'll figure it out.
Welcome back to Canel and Bell, Danny Canel, Raja Bell. We are uh, watching the Open Championship as we do our show right here. Tiger Woods on Tiger the second Woods. hole, second hole, struggling a little bit on the course today. Found another bunker, fairway bunker. So he has his approach, his third shot in the par five, second hole. Slight help. <laughs> I like the golf voice. <laughs> Can you give it a little golf clap? He was two thirty five out. Hey, there you go. Great shot from 235 Excellent. yards. So he has a putt for birdie on the par five second hole. Rory McIlroy is, it keeps getting worse over. and worse. Oh, it's over, but it's not even close. What do you always say about, uh, about a Thursday? What? At, at a, oh yeah, at you major. can't, you can't win the major, but you can lose it. He has <laughs> lost the major. Even if, I don't, maybe he could fire that, uh, 61 to a course record tomorrow, but I don't like Dude, the chances of that happening. You're talking about making a cut, hopefully, if you're Rory. You can't be thinking about winning it. Like, it, oh, yeah, eight over, you're just get, trying to get in. You want to play in front of your home crowd. Like, you just want to try to get to that cut. Yeah. Eight over, he had a triple bogey on the 18th hole after doubling the 16th hole. And, of course, the eight, the quad on number one, a rough time for him. I love the Open Championship because it's so different. Their style, the Lynx golf courses are so different. You were noticing somebody, I think it was Jordan Spieth was running a shot up. Yeah. Like you, it's such a different, the only thing I've played similar is Bandon Dunes out in Oregon. And it's, you, you can't club the same. Like right. if you have 150 yards and you normally hit a nine iron or whatever club you hit, you can't always do that because sometimes it's firm, there's wind. So sometimes you might hit, uh, a pitching wedge yeah. downwind, but you'll land it like 20 yards short. Running on And it'll up there. just keep going. It'll run out. You know, that's why, um, uh, Dennis Watson, not Dennis, Tom Watson, remember when he was like 60, he was making a run at yeah. the open because you, you have to hit it as far, exactly, right? Exactly. You can work some of these kind of shots where you just get it up there and kind of get it going towards the hole and it'll run for days. Yeah. And if you're good at that, you can have a field day out there. And obviously Roy McElroy, who's had a lot of practice playing there, having grown up there is just struggling today. It looks like he's handled it pretty well in the post, uh, Post round press conference. Hit the pub, out buddy. There. Yeah, he's gonna definitely need to kick back a few, uh, Guinnesses tonight at the pub. Um, we'll keep you updated on that throughout, through, through the rest of the show. Uh, SEC media days mm-hmm. are here. All the media days. Big 10 kicks off, uh, today as well. The ACC's on day two. So all of college football, we're all talking about the season, right? I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's, at least we're closer. I'll give it that. Like, I don't love it because it's just talking, but we're getting closer. Uh, Bama and Clemson are the kings of the college football world, right? We can all agree on that. They're the favorites from the sports books to go back to the championship. They're about neck and neck. They're about the same odds to win it, uh, whoever you want to take there. Tua spoke yesterday and said, uh, talking about the chance to play for it, said, I think it's good to get both the opportunity to win and have the opportunity to lose as well. I know this sounds bad, but I'm glad I had the opportunity to feel a loss like that. What can you learn from winning? Not that much, but when you lose, you start appreciating things a lot more. I, I love the attitude. I love the mindset. I'm sure Bama fans don't love hearing that, but it is. One of the best teachers in life is adversity and losing. Yeah. I, the only, I don't really have an, ex, I take any exception to it. I just wish, don't, don't say I'm glad we lost, right? You know what I mean? Like that. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, <laughs> first of all, it's not, it's not, you, you're not glad you lost. Like you would have much rather won the game, but I do appreciate you having some perspective on it and understanding number one, it's not the end of the world. And number two, I can get better and learn from that. Um, you know, I think Tua, look, they said it yesterday. I watched Nick Saban, uh, you know, and, and some of these guys, like, Tua was better earlier in the season, mm-hmm. um, and he didn't play his best football down the stretch, right? And, you know, for a lot of reasons, for winning, uh, national championships and for draft purposes coming up for Tua, like, th- those are things that you need to learn from, and you need to take the appropriate steps to guard against them happening this year. So, I, I appreciate a guy coming out and saying that they'll learn from that. I, I just don't love you saying that you, 
Right. You like, yeah, yeah. you don't, and then you kind of know what he means, right? Right. Sure, I get he it. He just said it, but he's yeah. trying to spin it the mm-hmm. best way which he is, possibly which can. Which is fine. Yep. Nick Saban was not spinning quite as much, but he was talking about what happened in the last year. He had a couple interesting comments too. Here he is yesterday at SCT Media Days. I don't think we had, um, we didn't have the, uh, a, a culture of accountability, uh, you know, with our team in the last, at the end of the season. Uh, I think putting the team first is always really, really important. And um, these are the kind of things that I think we need to improve on uh, if we're going to be able to improve as a team and continue to develop and have success. And I think, you know, you have to be able to live with success. You have to understand that success is not a continuum. It's momentary. Uh, and if you don't continue to do the same things that you've always done, uh, you're, you're not you're not going to be successful. So it's interesting the comments that come out of Nick Saban. They sound eerily familiar to. There was a few years ago. I don't know exactly what year is it. They played Oklahoma in the Sugar Bowl and they got waxed. Right, yeah. and everybody's like, "Oh my gosh, what's that?" Maybe it's the end of the dynasty. There was all these conversations that came about. But Saban said the same thing going into that bowl game. He said we were distracted. We didn't have the focus. Our leaders didn't lead. Um, you know, he mentioned even this year distractions. There were a lot of distractions late in the season, but he didn't elaborate on those. Right. Um, I think you got your butts kicked. I mean, Clemson's a really good team. Uh, I do think it's interesting because I think when you look at these dynasties, and I want to talk about this in a minute too, about college football and the problem that they're in because of Bama and Clemson's uh, dominance, but I don't think anybody in the country is going to knock them from their perch. So then you're like, all right, well, how's it going to end? And it usually comes from within, and yeah. it's a mindset from within, which I think is what Saban is alluding to, is that maybe they didn't have their edge, that desire to, you know, hey, we're a class. They, they're, their senior class, their veterans had already won a championship. There's not sure. that desperation, that hunger to go out there and just do whatever it takes, put in the extra hours. You kind of get complacent. And it's not a knock. I'm sure Saban was trying to tell them, we have to do this. We have to do it this way. Yeah. He's, you know, he's epically, uh, maniacal about how he likes to prep his guys. Maybe they just took the foot off a little bit off the gas. I think they thought it was a foregone conclusion that they were going to win a national championship. They were prolific early. I mean, they were putting up video game numbers. Tua's numbers by himself were just in, and he was playing halves of games. They were, they were ridiculous, staggering like completion percentages and so on and so forth. And I think, you know, naturally trying to do something the second time when you're trying to win championships, like it's exponentially harder than the first time because of the complacency factor, right? Like you start to, you know, we've, we've done this. We're going to get it done. I think that they, they did kind of fall asleep at the wheel a little bit, um, because of all the early success. You start, you start sprinkling in the younger kids, right? That maybe aren't as mature and they're watching some of the older kids kind of be in, in, in cruise mode until they get, Younger kids don't flip the switch. Like college is unique like that where you, where you have, these are babies, like 17 year olds that you rely on to go out there and play. Um, watching a 20 year old do something that he's done for three years and understand how to pace himself and turn it on at the right moment. He can't do it the same way. So there are a lot of things that play into that. I think ultimately it was, it's just really hard when you are at the top of the mountain yep. every year and, and you know, you know, nobody can beat you. And then you see your peer one time. To, to like be ready that day. Like it's a tough thing. Yep. Sometimes you miss. Uh, they, their schedule again is cake this year. Uh, they're not going to get tested that much, but that's another problem I see arising. Whenever I say that during the season, Bama fans get ticked off at me, which isn't really new. Like they always are kind of <laughs> mad at me, but I'm t- like during the radio season, I'm like, you know what? Their dominance can actually be a detriment. Absolutely. Because they're not getting tested. Remember, I mean, it definitely cost Tua the Heisman trophy or at least 
it helped Kyler Murray win it because Kyler Murray, I thought, deserved the Heisman Trophy. But remember the biggest thing you heard as well, if Tua played four quarters, he would have had better stats and he would have had these stats. But he wasn't playing the fourth quarters because they were blowing out all these opponents. Right. So he's not getting tested in late-game situations and getting put under that fire where that's the only place you can learn and win from, which is exactly what he was saying. It's a really interesting like debate, and I have it with myself sometimes when we go into tournaments, right? Like, say, with my team. And you're like, yeah, we're going to – like, do you want to be in a tournament where you beat everybody by 30 and you kind of cruise to the championship game? But then you're going to see a heavyweight, mm-hmm. right? So you're not tested. Everybody's feeling good. My fourth-grade team did it a couple weeks ago. Cruised, 30 to everybody. Saw a period in the championship game, got beat by eight. Kids just weren't sharp. They weren't ready to go. Or would you rather be battle-tested throughout the process, right, still eke your way maybe into the to the playoff or the championship, but now you know come fourth quarter in a tight ball game what everybody's made of because they've had to prove it to you eight times during the regular season. You know, it's an interesting debate, though. Welcome back to Canel and Bell. So we were talking a little about the uh, – what are you laughing I don't at? Know, making a face the camera calls me. <laughs> uh, we were talking some college football last yeah. thing with the media days that are going on uh, now. I am worried about college football. Um, if you look at the trend, so Clemson and Bama have been dominating the landscape for the last several yeah. years. They've met, you know, what is this, four or five times in the last uh, four or five years. Yeah. They've always been kind of favorites to win. Uh, it's hard to see an end to either team's dynasty coming. Like they're, you know, two is young, Trevor's young. Stacking you five stars. The recruiting classes keep coming in. And I think it's similar to the NBA. So the NBA the last several years mm-hmm. had the Golden State Warriors and it was the Cleveland Cavaliers before LeBron left Cleveland. They were playing every time and it really diminished the regular season. Everybody, they'd make their preseason picks. Everybody's like, oh, it's going to be the Warriors and the Cavs and then who knows who's going to win. Right. This past season, it was the Warriors are going to win it all. The Warriors are going to win it all. Then you have a couple guys get hurt. Toronto's a new winner. So that was good. But the best thing about the NBA is now the super team is broken up. And it looks like it's going to be this incredible year next year for the NBA. Yeah. So I'm looking at college football. I'm like, well, how does that happen? How does this end? And you don't have free agency. Guys, don't, even though Nick Saban may disagree talking about transfers. Say, transfers um, you gotta- but you look at it, and I don't know how you break this thing up because you can't force guys to leave. You can't limit the number of recruits they have. So I have a potential solution. Okay, let's hear it. Um, because the regular, because I, last season, the regular season, yes, there were some good games. Cause I put this tweet out this morning. A lot of people were like, well, what about this game? What about this game? There were some good games. Uh, Oklahoma, West Virginia was one that somebody put at me. It was yeah. 59, 56. It was a, blo- you know, a shootout out there. It was a good game. Uh, Texas A&M versus, uh, LSU was that seven overtime game. That was a good game. But there were a lot of snooze fest in the primetime games. When you want to see Bama get tested in the regular season, didn't happen. Same thing right. with Clemson. Uh, the playoffs were a snooze fest. Uh, they were boring. You know, Cle- uh, even the championship game, Clemson took it to Alabama, took them to the woodshed. Right. Uh, the, the semis were a bad game. So I think you need to do something. College football does. They need to do something to shake things up. You know, I've been a proponent of the eight team playoff, yep. which I think is a really easy solution, but I think you have to take it a little bit deeper than that. Because of scheduling. So the regular season has become boring because there's so many games that are just boring. You have the, the, the blowout schedule. You know, the SEC takes a lot of heat for scheduling the week before their last game of the season. Yeah. Bama plays Alabama A&M or Charleston Southern, whatever team it is. Uh, but every league does it at some point. The yeah. ACC just does it in week Early. two or three. Right. So I would do away with those games. I would do away with any power five team against an FCS opponent. Um, I would also make every power five team play 10 power five opponents, 
right, okay. in the regular season. Sometimes right. now you have teams that only play eight if they have an eight-game conference schedule in the right. ACC or SEC, and they'll schedule a lot of group of five and FCS schedules that are out there. Right. Um, and then the other thing I would do is I would cut the schedule to 11 games. We're at 12 games now, but I would dial it back one game. Uh, because I think it would make it more special. It would, it would just, you could add an extra bye week into that schedule to give players more time to recoup. But you would see, and then by expanding the playoffs and having five power five champs versus three wild cards, all of a sudden, these, since we already know two teams are a lock to make the playoffs, the other two are probably going to be another SEC team and, you know, the Big Ten winner. We've eliminated the Pac-12 from the conversation the last three years. Right. Um, you know, you're, outside of Clemson, there's nobody else in the ACC. Outside of Ohio State and Michigan, there's nobody been in discussion in the Big Ten. If you bring four more teams into play for the playoffs, all of a sudden November gets extremely exciting because you'll have that many more teams that the last few years are like, ah, they're not going to get in the playoffs. So why would I watch that game? Uh, so what what happens to the non-power five schools and their opportunity to either you know yeah, they get a, million dollar paydays you know they, they are getting yes. yeah uh, and I'm talking like what about like uh Central Florida is not a power five team right they're a group of five they're a group of five yep. so but you're eliminating them from a power five schedule so right? I, but I, that's like, why I left the room for one so I could so so if you played ten power five opponents in an yeah. eleven game schedule you would have one and but you couldn't have it be a group or you couldn't have it be an FCS but you could have it be a group of five a group so of five so that could be a UCF a Houston a Boise but they State. would like. So you would have to hope if you were Central Florida, if you were to, to go, which this is another conversation because Central Florida, I don't think has done what they need to do to get in the conversation. But like theoretically, you'd have to have five, like, or three power five teams, you know, select right. you as that. Right. Which is a little it. tough on yeah. that, but maybe you can get that done because you're UCF, you have some cachet. Right. The, one of the biggest pushbacks I always get is, what about the FCS games? Nobody likes those games, but you understand their purpose sure. because they help fund some of those programs. The solution that I have, is schedule those games in the spring. Instead of spring practice where you have the garnet and gold game at Florida State or the A game. Yeah, they're just glorified practices. Why not have Florida State play Florida A&M? Because they're not paying you a million dollars to do that. But you can. So here's what you do. Instead of paying them the regular season, give them the gate from the game because it would be a well-attended game. You you can negotiate a new TV contract because you know know who would love some TV inventory in the spring when nothing's going on? Have, you know, ESPN, CBS, Fox, they would snatch up those products. So then there's a way to generate some revenue to give to those teams. And then the other thing is the, a lot of power five coaches get really nervous because they, they worry about how they look against an FCS program if they lost that game. Yeah. So you take that out because they, even if they lose, you can say, well, it was a scrimmage. We were playing backups. Right. Cause fans are happy. Like I, I just think it's a, and you still have that interest get a payday. It's interesting. I, you could do it regionally. So there is like Florida State, Florida A&M. You can yeah. have Alabama play Alabama A&M. One of the challenges for us is F- FIU when I was there basketball-wise, like University of Miami wouldn't play us. Right. Because they didn't want to lose to us. Right. So you're saying if you take that off their regular season, yep. you make it a – Yeah, the coach, cause the coach doesn't right. want to get fired if Correct. he loses to FIU. Right. Right. So right. now you now you say, all right, well, it doesn't really matter. And yet – you know, like, cause I get, like, FCS players, they get to play at the big house, or they get to play at the shoe, or they get to play mm-hmm. at Death Valley. Mm-hmm. You still get to play and have that experience. Some of them make their, they might get noticed from an NFL team because of how they played in that game. Sure. They still have that opportunity in that game to shine. You know? I, 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 the, I just, only, the only thing I would say to it, and again, I, I, I it's interesting, 
but sample size of that. Again, I'm going to take it back to me. Like, I, Miami wouldn't play us, but our coach went out and he scheduled Arizona and Maryland and Michigan and Penn State. And so while nobody was coming to see me play against, like, Southwest Louisiana, they were all there to see. So I got six games that year. you got to scale it, obviously, because we have more games in basketball. But one opportunity to maybe play at Death Valley in front of all of the pro scouts really – minimizes your opportunity to show. What if you don't show well that day? You, right. you, want, more, you want as many of those as you can. Right. You know what I mean? So right. I don't know. The other, so then the other aspect of me is like maybe I'm overreacting to Clemson and Bama's dominance because we've seen the Canes in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. Florida State was a 14-year run. Uh, Florida Gators had a nice little stretch. You know, other teams. It's usually they, cyclical. There's a dynasty. It rises. It rains. And then it's going to fall, right? Like, right. That's going to happen. Right. I do think it's interesting because all of the people, a lot of them are the same people that are throw shade at the NBA for not having parity, and it goes beyond Clemson and, and Alabama for me, Danny. Like, right, you know who's going to be in the Big Twelve championship for the most part. Right, like you have Oklahoma, Oklahoma sitting there, right? Maybe Texas, or maybe Texas, right? Big, Big Ten, Ten you, maybe Ohio, Ohio State, State maybe Penn Michigan. State, yeah. Michigan, right? Like you're, you're, it's across the landscape of college football. Those two happen to be sitting at the top, but I tend to think. Your idea is really interesting. I like that you're a thought guy. See? You're I'm a thought to, guy, I'm, right? I'm a solutions a guy is what I am. I'm a solutions <laughs> guy. When, but when you look at it out there, I do think college football has a problem. If you said you can only have one of these solutions, yeah. I would just say give us 18 playoff. Because you have really disenfranchised the West Coast yeah. because you're not seeing a Pac-12 champion get represented because they have two losses or sometimes three. Give them a chance. Like, just Why let not? them see how they yeah. do it. It's a really good conference as far as depth. They just don't have that dominant team. Uh, and, you know, sometimes Ohio State gets left out because they, you know, lost a game or two. Yeah. Or the Big Ten champ or the ACC. I agree champ, with Whatever you on it that. is, let them all get a chance because then it brings everybody in. And that's relatively easy. You're not talking yeah, about, really like, putting games fix. in the spring and, like. Five conference yeah. champs and three, and three wild cards. And you know what it really gives you? It kind of gives you a 16 game playoff because then those conference championship games are playing games. Look at you. To the spot. So then you're getting a bigger playoff than really. I'm so eight. proud of you, bro. Somebody pay attention to this show. Man. Dang it. Let's go. Make this thing happen. <laughs> Got the solutions right here. Uh, the open championship is going on right now. Rory McElroy had a disastrous first day, uh, in his hometown. Tiger Did is. Did make that putt for I don't birdie? know. I'm trying to get a little update from Coca in my ear. I haven't seen it yet. He was, uh, putting for birdie on the third hole after he was even par. Uh, but we'll get back tomorrow. We'll have all those highlights for you throughout the day. Uh, and we'll be watching it all day long, too. I love the Open Championship. You can watch all day long. Starts early in the morning. All right. Have a good one, man. Enjoy the golf. Tomorrow we'll be back.